welcome to, to the, the recap. recap. I'm your DM, your direct messenger, Noah Perito. And I'm Lisa Condemi, your humble player. We're here to tell you a tale, the tale of Gorgonzola, as she travels the realm of Fayfall, trying not to die. Our story begins with Arc 1, Paddlewick Problems. As you might imagine, we begin in Paddlewick, a small town inside the Aurelian Empire, the dominant political force on Gorgonzola's continent of Emeralia. An imperialist, human-led government determined to conquer the continent, the Aurelian Empire makes life difficult for its ousted foes and their descendants, orcs, goblins, and the like. And so Zola set out from her childhood farm to find a place where she could prove she belongs, and maybe even become a hero. Donning her long-lost orcish mother's rusty sword and armor, the fighter snuck out in the night, hoping to see the world and also begin the search for the mysterious parent she never knew. Her plan was put on pause when on the roads outside Paddlewick, she ran into Scram, a goblin wild magic sorcerer. Coming from the north and carrying a powerful crystal known as the Wild Shard, Scram was hoping to escape not just the Empire's persecution, but also the pursuit of the Wild Shard's former owner, a wizard known as Lord Tenderdick. After being attacked by a horrid monster known as a Grimlock, the two decided to stick together and protect one another. That promise made, the town was promptly attacked by more Grimlock, led by a drow, or dark elf, who had infiltrated the local lord's mansion and stolen an important artifact. In exchange for their lives, the lord, Craven Eaglebottom, instructed Zola and Scram to follow the attackers into the sewers and secure the unspecified item. And also maybe save some of the civilians who were captured, though he didn't care much about them. Just hours after their journey together began, Gorgonzola, Scram, and local cleric in training Priya Altrui found themselves tracking the invaders through the Underdark, a labyrinth of vast caverns lying beneath the surface of the world, before coming upon a secret fortress base. There, the three braved more unthinking Grimlock minions. Storming to the top of the fortress, Zola and Scram eavesdropped as the leader of the base, Brizala, spoke with her superior, a dark disembodied voice on the other end of a swirling crystal ball. Zola and Scram learned that the attack on Paddlewick was no random incident. The drow had been instructed to seize the artifact, which had been stolen from them by the Lord of Paddlewick. Moreover, they learned that this underground fortress belonged to an organization known only as the Eye, who seemed to be manipulating the Aurelian Empire from the inside. Through a series of maneuvers that can only be described as reckless shenanigans, the trio managed to slay the leader of the base, steal back the artifact, which was locked inside of an impenetrable case, and save those civilians who were destined to be fed to the Grimlocks. Escaping back to the surface, Priya returned to the temple to help the wounded, while Scram and Zolo reported to Lord Eaglebottom. However, when they arrived, they overheard Lord Craven Eaglebottom speaking with the same disembodied voice that they had heard in Brazala's fortress, revealing that the Eye's infiltration ran deep. The voice revealed that the Lord Eaglebottom had planned on betraying the Eye to gain power, a vain, foolish pursuit the organization was aware of and would now punish him for. When they finally met with the Lord, Zola and Scram lied about the success of their mission, secretly keeping the artifact to themselves, but ultimately finding themselves exiled from Paddlewick, their unjust reward for… saving civilians? Feeling betrayed, our heroes planned to leave Paddlewick at the crack of dawn. Zola got a chance to say goodbye to her father, a sweet and caring cheese farmer, and then to Priya who, despite feeling the spark of teen romance ignite in the caverns beneath Paddlewick, felt that her place was with her people. After sharing an awkward first kiss, Zola had her last night of sleep in Paddlewick. Scram too. But they did not find rest when they closed their eyes. While they slept, both had vivid visions of their destinies. In Scrams, the shard sang a warning of the coming change. 
Oh, behold the end. See, the past is now exiled. Your life is the spark. See, the flames grow wild. He was not just a random goblin who found a crystal. He was a prophet. Meanwhile, Zola's dream transported her to a city floating in the astral sea, a plane of existence beyond the material plane of Fayfall. There, she wandered through a fiery landscape consumed by combat and was called out to by a one-eyed god who commanded her to follow her bloodline and return to her people. She was saved from this command by a small moat of green light, one that led her away from the violence and towards a silvery portal, which brought her back to her still-sleeping body. Jolting awake, she and Scram found that they were not alone. The green light had followed her back to the waking world, revealing himself to be a familiar, a cow-patterned weasel Zola dubbed Stilton. And that's where our first arc ended. Tune in at chapter 12 to begin arc 2, The Orcacy, or keep listening for more recap. Arc 2, The Orcacy. Zola and Scram fled Paddlewick aboard a rogue pirate ship named the Feral Free, manned by a ragtag crew of misfits and led by tiefling Hellraiser and salami thief, Captain Fiddlesticks. Leaving behind their cleric friend Priya, who believed her place was still in Paddlewick, the two adventurers made pals with their new shipmates. Nella, resident gambler, and Zaroom Batico, deckhand, Three halfling triplets, known as the Muscatinis, who bared a striking resemblance to a young Danny DeVito. A Kenku navigator named Liar, who spoke only in mimicry. A tiger tabaxi celestial warlock cook named Flambe. A gnome first mate with mechanical appendages named Mr. McGreevy. An orc quartermaster, quite a shocker within the Empire's borders, named Moscar Pone. A half-elf disaster named Quince Tuffler, just a real scrub who quickly became a fan favorite. And a half-drow rogue named Ciceros Penui, who manned the ship at night. Though our heroes butted heads with the crew at first, through honesty and empathy, they eventually proved themselves to be worthy members. Meanwhile, Zola continued to have confusing dreams in which a rattling deep voice commanded her to find the gravedigger. Not long into their journey, the Feral Free came upon something mysterious, an abandoned ship floating like a ghost in the night. When Scram and Zola made their way to the heart of the ship, which was filled with the skeletons of orcs as well as mages from the fallen Leoniel Empire, they found a sickly green glowing gem. In a powerful magical reaction, the Wild Shard absorbed the green gem, and with it, Scram. Zola, with newfound magical power, fought with the Feral Free for their lives against the resurrected orcish undead. They survived, but there was no answer from Scram within the pulsating shard. Without her only friend, Zola got to know Ciceros better, shielding her from the sun so she could travel with the crew onto Driften, a floating pile of rubbish and crates built into a city beyond the Empire's control. There, Ciceros and Zola had their first unofficial date in the form of parasol shopping and a bar brawl. Finally catching up with Captain Styx, Zola overheard her meeting with an unrecognizable humanoid accompanied by a raccoon familiar, who was asking suspicious questions about Captain Styx's new crewmates. Avoiding any questions, Captain Styx sent Zola on a quick quest to bring an offering to the watchwoman of Driften, Tethesia, who kept the island safe via her pact with Umberly, goddess of the sea, and also happened to be an ex of Captain Styx. Thethesia granted the crew a small blue stone, a charm of protection to keep them safe from Umberly's cruel seas. 
The waves were the least of their worries, though, as Drifton was attacked by the Empire's naval forces, come to collect on years' worth of taxes. Zola and the crew very narrowly escaped onto the high seas, but tensions remained high, as Zola realized that the chest that contained Lord Craven's unknown artifact had gone missing from where she'd stashed it. Mascar admitted to confiscating and bringing it to Captain Styx. Sensing the jig is up, Zola revealed to the captain and Mascar her journey thus far. Mascar told Zola more about their people, the Formaggi, who were a member of the pre-Aurelian alliance called the First Might. After the Aurelian Empire overthrew the old Leonial regime in the War of the Mar Imara, the Formaggi were exiled from their own home by the cruel and prejudiced human empire. Mascar and Captain Styx were most disturbed by Zola's encounter with the Eye, a major faction called the Omnimalum, who were propping up the new Aurelian Empire. More importantly, Zola cracked open Lord Eaglebottom's lockbox, revealing a golden crown. Drawing near to the capital, Captain Styx delayed their arrival in favor of one last quest, diving down to the wreckage of her former ship in search of her late mother's music box. Captain Styx, Zola, and Quince descended to the seafloor, where they were quickly outnumbered by Kuatoa, terrible cultish fish monsters who had been contacted by the Omnimalum's most dangerous agent, Plebo, the sniveling deep gnome Zola and Scram had accidentally let free in Brazala's tower. Zola managed to fry the fish, and Captain Styx retrieved her mother's music box, but the cost was too high, as Quince was killed beneath the waves. Thankfully, Flambe was able to connect with her god, Wilda, and perform a miracle, bringing a terrified and wet Quince back to life. Grateful to be alive and where it's dry, the crew celebrated with Emeralia's first pizza party. Zola and Cicero's bonded over their troubled pasts and foggy futures. Meanwhile, Zola began to hear the voice of the man trapped inside the green gem, which is trapped inside the shard an ominous orc mage named Limburger, aka Gravedigger, who served under Zola's grandfather before leaving the Formaggi on a quest to learn strange magic in the cursed pale wastes. Limburger told Zola that her sword was a legendary blade passed down by Zola's ancestors, a mage-slaying weapon called the Tusk that could cut through the weave of magic itself. He asked Zola to help free him from the gem using this power, to which Zola played coy, suspecting that Limburger may have been trapped by the Leoniel mages for a reason. As Limburger's pleas to be freed echoed in Zola's mind, she was visited by another vision, one of a black void, where the shard warbled with burning energy. Zola was transported to an ancient marble cathedral, streaked with gems and veins of ore, but otherwise fallen into disrepair. Before her was a fountain with a carving of an androgynous figure made of crystalline stone, its water frozen in time. Ancient murals depicted how Emeralia was shaped by gods, before nearly being torn apart by their disagreements in a cataclysmic magical disaster called the Malediction, if not for the sacrifice of one. Driven by a strange urge to defy Limburger, Zola used the tusk to dispel magic on the frozen fountain, whose statue began to fill with color. Continuing up and out of the cathedral, Zola came upon an altar and looked out onto a strange star-shaped island, the landscape constantly shifting with ever-changing weather. There, the shard appeared to her again, calmer and filled with magnetic energy, and told her, Nothing, nothing will, will be spared. All things will all come to shift. Some call it a curse, some a gift. Some call it a curse, some a Zola was pulled out of her body above the island, above Emeralia, above the world of Feyfall, and into the Astral Sea, where Stilton's green energy found her and helped her return to her sleeping body. 
Back in the waking world, the Feral Free threw Zola a goodbye party, which turned sour when Captain Styx's acquaintance from Driften, a shape-shifting changeling named Trick, disguised themselves as Ciceros and attempted to steal the Wild Shard from Zola. Trick escaped into the night, but moments later the Feral Free was attacked by the Empire's naval forces and wronged salami salesman, Der Boucher. With the shoddy Feral Free unable to compete with the Golden Fleet, Captain Styx cursed Umberly's name and yeeted the Blue Stone into the Mara Emara, incurring the Sea Goddess's wrath and summoning a massive coral dragon. Although not before nearly killing Zola. After one last night under the stars with Ciceros, Zola prepared to return to land and continue the journey to find her mother and seek out more knowledge regarding the mysterious Wild Shard. And that's where we concluded the second arc of Try Not to Die. You're ready to start the adventure at chapter 26, or you can keep listening for more of the recap. Arc 3, Aurelian Awakenings. Privateer Zola Parma disembarked the new Feral Free, beating it hastily past city guards and into the shining capital of Aurelia. Seeking to learn more about her magic as well as the strange wild shard she held, Zola found refuge in a quaint tavern known as the Drunken Drake. There, she met halfling tavern owner and unlicensed mage, Barley Agesia, plus her mysterious next-door neighbor, a man named Smite. Exploring the city, Sola also met High Priest Moss Pisuela of the Temple of the Wild, learned of diseased cloning rats in the city's transit stations, and discovered that Smite was a local vigilante known as Landscorcher, hell-bent on delivering justice to the cruel empire oppressing them, and protecting the innocence of the outer district from being kidnapped and disappeared. Dead set on having some semblance of a teenage experience, Zola applied to the University of Aurelia under the alias Brie Camembert, hoping to find some of the answers to her quest in the university's erudite study. Along the way, she stopped at Marfin's Magnificent Magical Menagerie, acquiring some freelance work from the archmage slash store owner himself, Zola hoping to fund her education, and Marfin hoping to learn more about the city's strange doppelrat problem. Things started looking up for our half-orc hero. Until the changeling rogue named Trick, who had been trailing her since Drifton, managed to steal the Wild Shard. Zola pursued Trick, relying on her sword's strange powers to fuel her orcish frenzy, but with Trick in hiding, Zola's fury was misdirected, leading her to kill an innocent bystander. Racked with guilt and knowing that in the wrong hands the shard can be used for evil, Zola knew she had to find it. With the help of Smite, the two tracked Trek through the Aurelian Necropolis. There they discovered some of the lost history of the fallen kingdom of Leoniel, as well as a bizarre, malfunctioning automaton, technology supposedly alien to the world of Feyfall. They destroyed the automaton and delved deeper into the Underdark, where they found Trick discussing transportation out of the city with Plebo Underpaddle, the arch-nemesis of Zola and member of the Omnimalum. Zola reclaimed the shard, but once more her furious bloodline took another life, this time Trix. Plebo was allowed to escape once more, back into the Underdark. Zola returned to Marfin's, dropping off the research components he requested, as well as Trick's dead body. Moved by this teen's plight, Marfin agreed to try and resurrect Trick, who came back as a haunted shell of himself. Ever busy, Zola took and passed the entrance exam at the university, meeting Archmage Flay Chantress, advisor to the Emperor and Dean of the university, who seemed overly keen on keeping an eye on our hero. Joining in Smite's fight against tyranny, Zola became a member of the Order of the Fallen God, a semi-religious group of misfits seeking to learn more about the fallen goddess of magic itself, Mistra. 
After hearing the Empire would be making a big announcement on Friday, the Order decided to attend the event together and learn what their enemies were planning next. The following day, Zola met Brigid, an elven druid from the southern jungles and keeper of the Allfire, a powerful fire spirit gifted by the gods to burn away all that prevents new, healthier growth. Brigid arrived to the Temple of the Wild to give her uncle, Moss Peacewillow, gems to pay off long overdue taxes on the church. But when she arrived, she learned that he had been kidnapped. Seeing a potential link to the disappearances Smite has been investigating, Zola, Smite, and Brigid teamed up. They fought off Omnimalum agents who had been tracking Zola, including Lord Akion, owner of the mysterious voice Zola had heard speaking to Brzala back under Paddlewick, and learned that the Omnimalum was seeking the crown Zola held, supposedly a powerful spellcasting focus that could further their influence. After disposing of Lord Akion, the trio took to the Underdark once more to follow up on the kidnappings, as well as a new lead, something or someone named Paragon. Along the way, the trio fought strange monsters of the dark, observed slime-covered walls, and even stranger watched as seemingly random trinkets appeared before them, all the while feeling as though someone were watching them. They tracked down Plebo and a drow mage named Erica Boderica, tricking them into leading the three to a secret city beneath the capital, known as the Socket, home of the Omnimalu. Through a series of violent deceptions, Zola, Brigid, and Smite escaped their foes and fled into the city itself, hiding in plain sight. Knowing they were short on time, Brigid used her enchanted bag of beans to cause chaos throughout the city, raising a massive tree from the ground, plus a pyramid containing a mummy lord, in the middle of the settlement and throwing the Omnimalum's forces into chaos. Sneaking inside the walls, they discovered admin buildings filled with information on the organization's history and plans. They also discovered a secret laboratory where a tinkerer named Suladad Diddlepis conducted experiments on innocence, creating terrible weapons to further the Omnimalan's agenda of conquest and control. This work, they found, has culminated in the creation of the Auric Army, automatons powered by the souls of those captured, using a twisted clone spell. They also learned that the War of the Mar and Mar was a setup. Prior to it, the Omnimalum had infiltrated many of the region's governments, except for the First Might nation of Formaji. To eliminate the First Might and bring about the coup that would eventually put the Emperor in power, they stole a sacred object from the Formaji and framed the Kingdom of Leoniel for it. This led to both of their destruction, the establishment of the Aurelian Empire, and the fleeing of the First Might's forces north of the Ouroboros Mountains. These forces had been led by none other than Zola's mother, Mozzarella, who apparently was the daughter of their chieftain, making Zola heir to the Orcish throne. During a rest in a supply closet, Limburger once again spoke to our hero as she drifted off to sleep, revealing her title, Stregorede, or Witch Heiress. Limburger once again offered Zola his assistance in saving the imprisoned. She refused to free him and he hinted that he couldn't be held long, that the shard was becoming corrupted. Zola slept, knowing yet another fuse was nearing its end. Storming the cloning lab, the three saved Brigid's uncle as well as many other innocents just before their souls could be removed and roboticized. The group split up for their escape, Moss and the other civilians heading for Brigid's enormous conjured tree to begin casting a powerful teleportation spell called Transport Via Plants. Meanwhile, the trio themselves would raid the central column known as the Pupil to save the rest of the captured people. As they parted ways, Zola promised Moss she would ensure Brigid's safe escape no matter what. Zola and the gang infiltrated the pupil, listening in on the meeting of the Council of Lords, ambassadors of the various regions within the Empire. 
Zola finally caught sight of the leader of the organization, a paranoid monster known as Paragon, a cycloptic spherical abomination with ten twisting eye stalks. Paragon planned to burn the jungles to the south, march on the nations north of the mountains, and instate Zola's friend Quince's dad as the new member of the council, displacing the disgraced Lord Craver and Eaglebottom, former mayor of Paddlewick and loser of Golden Crowns. Before the council could reveal more, Tiny Spy Stilton was spotted by the ever-vigilant Paragon. Though he tried to escape, council member Dean Flechantress was able to catch and recognize Stilton's pied hide, realizing her student Zola, aka Bree Camembert, was nearby. As Zola and Stilton spied, Smite and Brigid explored a strange garden, filled with an ecosystem kept alive by brightly glowing crystals, similar to those seen in the Underdark. When Zola joined them, they found that the garden was a prison meant to keep a golden-haired woman known only as Paragon's pet hidden. The trio persuaded the woman that they could help her escape, and she joined them, taking on a new name, NP, or not a pet. Together they freed the shackled citizens and fled out into the streets of the Sokka to meet up with Team Teleport via plants. At the base of the massive tree, a battle for their lives broke out against the ever-increasing forces of the Omnimalum. Over a grueling combat, the trio granted Moss with their combined spell power so he could conjure up an escape portal, all while holding off hordes of Grimlocks and Drow agents. They even convinced NP to join the fight, revealing her to be a young gold dragon, and realized that her egg was the sacred object that was taken from the Formaggi to incite this war. All of the kidnapped civilians were able to escape from the city, along with Brigid, Smite, and a mysterious elderly woman. However, in the presence of such magical energy, the wild charge surged multiple times, causing a wave of magical chaos to radiate out from Zola. Before she and NP could flee, Zola was captured and forced to throw Moss through the portal before it closed, leaving her and her draconic companion stranded and alone, surrounded by the recovering forces of the Omnimalu. And that is where we end Arc 3, Aurelian Awakenings. Tune in to Chapter 49 to listen to Arc 4 Heritage, or keep listening for more sweet, sweet recap. Arc 4, Heritage. Brigid and Smite escaped out of the frying pan and into the fire, as they were followed through the portal and into the jungles of the Veridontis by Dean Flay Chantress, disguised as an old woman. After putting down Pyre, Brigid's all-fire spirit, with just one word, Flay displayed her terrifying command of enchantment magic by controlling those who had escaped the Omnimalum's clutches, including Smite. She was only stopped when High Priestess Cardamom Wildspice, adopted mother of Brigid, and de facto leader of the jungle, arrived to intimidate Flay back to the Empire. Brigid, Smite, and all of the newly dubbed acolytes met with Zuhat Zendaria, the circle of elders that oversaw the Veridontis. Desperate to shelter the refugees and open an evacuation portal for those at risk in the capital, our heroes requested that the council allow them to retrieve an artifact known as the Plainstone, which could be used to create a permanent portal. Unfortunately, they were unable to convince the majority. With a split council, they were permitted only to shelter those who had already arrived, and future evacuations were put on the back burner. Disappointed, Brigid took the council's decision as a personal failure, but Smite was there for her. Cardamom approached the group about secretly sending Brigid on a mission to retrieve the Plainstone, employing an ask-for-their-forgiveness-not-their-permission perspective. After a touching goodbye with Smite, who left for the capital and more evacuations, Brigid and her mother headed south to find this powerful object. Brigid joined Hexblood Spores Druid Babareshi of the Fungal Forest to travel the Sanguisor Mountains to the Pale Wastes. Weathering the oppressive magic, the two druids fought off hordes of teleporting undead to retrieve the Plainstone and return home to the Veridontis. Back in the Undercity of the Socket, 
Gorgonzola fled with the help of her new golden dragon friend, NP, and everyone's favorite mage, Marfin. Teleporting back into his office, Zola was finally fully honest with Marfin about her journey up to that point. The mage was able to offer his caring guidance to both her and NP, who could go north with Zola, but decided to stay behind and train with the crown, which once belonged to her mother, a slain dragon named Alethea. Zola met back up with Smite and fellow Order member Kittle Moonsong McGreeby to break into the Erudite study and find the rumored hidden library. Inside, Zola learned many secrets of this world, including, but not limited to, Fayfall was created by Mistra, the goddess of magic, who herself formed when magic willed itself into conscious form. She wanted to see her world and walk amongst her creations, but the other inhabitants of the outer planes began to flock there, leading to the cataclysm known as the Maldiction. The Maldiction ended with Mistra sacrificing herself to save the Weave, with both sides agreeing to a tenuous peace. They would not interfere directly with the Material Plane, and thus would avoid an inevitable war that would tear them all apart. Zola also learned that the wild shard she held was a form of spell shard, a crystal byproduct of powerful magic. Their creation and the presence of wild magic sorcerers like Scram, aberrations like Paragon, plus the abuse of magic like the Auric Army, all signaled that magical conditions were nearing malediction levels, spelling disaster for all of Fayfall. They escaped from the library, tailed by Quince's half-brother Neil. Zola and Smite promised to reunite after Zola's journey north to track down her mother, her people, and more answers about her role as the Stregarede. Zola hoped to inform Marfin of the situation, but was held up when Smite returned after saying goodbye already. He insisted on guiding her in her journey, acting strangely as they entered inside and caught a glimpse of the evil academic Dean Flay Chantress speaking with Marfin. Zola was forced to plan a much quicker escape than expected, and matters became even worse when Smite revealed himself to be the resurrected Trick, now doubly obsessed with retrieving the shard for their employer. Marfin banished Trick momentarily so Zola could teleport to the dwarven city of Balderheim, beginning her journey up north but unsure of how the mage would fare without her. In Balderheim, Zola met her guide, Erzalari Graubreiber, a Duragar, or pale dwarf warrior and storyteller who claimed to be of noble blood. Zola also met the Shard, who was awakened by the powerful energy used in the socket a day or so before. With the mind of a child and the powers of a mage, the little trouble might prove to be a constant form of chaos in the strict city. Though Zola was able to keep the Shard's existence under wraps, she and Erza, who was facing unsuspected, unwanted wild magic powers granted by the Shard, were forced to hastily flee the city after tracking the attention of Omni Malum agents, led by her nemesis, Plebo Underpaddle. In the cavern tunnels of the Ouroboros Mountains, Erza and Zola fought their way through the forces of the Chromatica, led by the Dragon Lords Frigidich and Anacra. Overcoming their initial uncomfortable relationship to become friends, Zola and Erza traversed the peaks to raid Anacra's horde, Avarici, the location where Erza's family's lost hammer was being kept. After escaping Frigidich's lair by accidentally shooting her in the butt, Zola prepared for their heist by reattuning herself to the tusk. Although she was successful in connecting to it, she found herself suddenly possessed, seeing the shard in trouble. Zola panicked and threw the bag of holding over the shard, accidentally causing a magical malfunction and opening a portal to the Astral Sea, which swallowed all but her, Erza, and Stilton. Devastated by the shard's loss, Zola opened up to Erza, and the two resolved to finish finding her ancestor's hammer. Knowing time was short, the party took a quick shortcut through the elemental plane of fire, meeting Charlotte Amira and the warriors of the Fallen Flame. 
Zola was troubled by a worrying stone call from Cicero's, whose voice was cut off by the sound of a cannon. She and Erza helped remove a cult of anacro-worshipping salamanders from the sacred temple known as the Creator Forge, utilizing the fiery portal Anacra had created between the Plane of Fire and his own horde. But in the process of liberating this cathedral to the goddess of magic, Zola died. She was once again thrown into the Astral Sea and summoned to meet with Grumsh, the Orc Creator God. In exchange for her life, Zola was forced into a binding promise. She would help Grumsh acquire the Wild Shard before he returned to the Material Plane to conquer all. With this painful promise, Zola returned in time to save her friends, her eye now red and searing with the reminder that her life belonged to a god. Erza and Zola parted with the Fallen Flame, diving back into their own plane and straight into Anacra's Horde. The unimpeded search for Erza's hammer was short as Anacra returned to quickly revel in his spoils. Erza and Zola snuck around and located Erza's hammer while Anacra slept. One small slip woke the ugly dragon, who was eager to see what new collectibles had entered into his den. The monster revealed that the hammer they found was actually a weapon he had forged to corrupt the dwarves, and the stories about Erza's ancestors were true. Her great-great-grandpappy may have been a noble, but he was the one who brought discord to the dwarves. Horrified, Erza was possessed with the greed of the hammer, and Zola helped her overcome her burden of shame. Under the guise of fighting for his amusement, the two used Erza's newfound ability to stone shape and hid in the rafters, causing Anacra to attack and collapse his own massive horde. Zola and Erza made a daring escape from the collapsing city, which included Erza hiding Zola in her knockoff bag of holding, and Zola leaving the tusk behind as a lure for Anacra before summoning it back into her hand. Our hero, free of the Chromatica and their tyrannical leader, looked north towards where she knew her family was, somewhere. And that is where we ended Arc 4 Heritage. Tune in to Chapter 69, 69 to listen to Arc 5 Family, or keep listening for the Arc 5 Recap. Arc 5 Family Last time, our hero continued her journey to find her mother. She left behind her dwarven ally, Erzalari Graubreiber, who was tasked with turning back to the dwarven kingdom of Balderheim and spreading word of the calamity that was quickly approaching the world of Faithful. Marching off into the snowy Wilderwinter Wood, our hero quickly encountered an Eladrin elf running from a troop of First Might Goblinoids. Initially pretending to be on the side of her people's allies, the goblins, Zola freed their elven captives during a fearsome yeti battle. Learning they were escorts for an Eladrin wizard scientist named Dr. Blustry Flocon, Zola compared notes, learning that similar arcane disturbances were occurring en masse and with increased expediency in the parallel plane of the Feywild. Realizing that she needed to find her mother, and fast, so that she could deal with the larger problems of the world, Zola split from the elves and stumbled upon a group of orcish warriors. Meeting her people did not go as planned, as Zola was immediately challenged to a duel and, despite winning, ended up in chains by the next morning. Zola learned that her mother was no longer the chief of the orcs and leader of the First Might. She had been replaced by a zealous cleric of the evil god Grumsh named Ardrahan. Zola quickly won over Sacerdote Ardrahan, falsely promising that her goals aligned with his, bringing Grimsh back to the Material Plane by way of taking over the Elvish Kingdom and using their technology to summon him to Feyfall. With him, the First Might would rise up and conquer what was rightfully theirs, the homeland they left, and the lands of all those who opposed them. 
the lie had worked, and after a grueling set of trials known as La Cultura, aka her Orcish coming of age, Zola pivoted strategies. She teamed up with Kunik, the Orcish woman who had dueled her in the Wilda Winter Wood, to steal back her mother's spellbook, as well as a map that could provide clues to her whereabouts. With the help of fireworks and terrible lying, Zola and Kunik defeated Arjahan's right-hand man Telegio, and Zola fled, leaving her mother's spellbook behind with Kunik to help support any lies she may tell. With the map imprinted on her memory thanks to her keen mind feat, Zola got back on the road. This leg of the trip was particularly grueling. Zola faced brutal and erratic weather patterns, avoided being tracked by a massive polar worm known as a remoras, and saved a winter wolf named Kala, all while studying her magic and creating a new spell. After her arch nemesis, Plebo managed to track her down using scrying and a powerful conjuration shard created by the wild magic surge in the socket, the two engaged in combat and conversation. Zola easily duped the delirious deep gnome and his drow bodyguards and confiscated his conjuration shard before teleporting away. Now armed with a dangerous, unpredictable fast travel tool, Zola pushed further north, eventually coming upon a frozen lake surrounding a small island. Our hero escaped the remoras which tailed her to this location and arrived on the island to find it obscured by mist and hiding a secret demiplane, the refuge of her mother and former leader of the First Might, Mozzarella. There, Gorgonzola finally met the woman she had sought for so long, and the two were able to explain what had happened since they split 18 years prior. Her mother shared her life story, her rise to the role of Stregarede, the loss of Aletheia's sacred egg which held NP, the War of the Mara Amara, being saved from near death by Zola's father Gianni, their love, Zola's birth, and finally, leaving them behind as Mozzarella escaped with her people, a choice that haunted her to this day. Though she saved them and their culture, she had given up the tusk and her claim to authority, after which Arjahan cursed and banished her from the first might. Using the new spell she created, Recap, Zola showed her mother her adventures so far. Though her mother was hesitant to help at first, she was eventually convinced, using a rod of paralysis, to leave the plane with Zola. This came at a great cost. The curse placed on Mozzarella by Arjahan and his cronies seemed to be physically exhausting her. Zola needed to dispel it before her mother was killed by violating her oath to never see her people again. Realizing that her mother was fading fast, Zola used the Conjuration Shard to teleport her party to Everholm. She tried thrice to control the wild conjuration magic before ending up at a strange temple known as Glaciel, far west of Everholm. Investigating what appeared to be a temple of Mistra, Zola learned it was inhabited long ago by people who worshipped the goddess of magic and brewed a healing liquor known as Fu, a precursor to healing potions. Apparently, these first inhabitants mysteriously disappeared during the malediction, but while Zola and her mother searched, they found that these folks may not actually be gone, finding them appearing and aging rapidly before disappearing over and over again. Heading deep into the temple, the party discovered that the current residents had been cornered in the Fu cellar by hostile spirits of the temple who wished to drain the healing Bev and the elves of their life force. After saving the citizens from the spirits and teleporting half of them, our hero finally got her mother to Everholm, saving her life and reuniting Kala with her pack. Reconvening with the elven agent she saved, Fanchi Fluffler, and the eccentric Dr. Blushtree Flocon, Zola filled them in on what she had been dealing with. 
After a surprising meeting with Cicero's father, Zola secured an audience with the elven authorities, convincing the dual queens Lady Noelle and Giselle Shadowshine that something was going on with the Weave, and if they weren't prepared, they would find themselves overwhelmed by the approaching forces of the First Might. Unfortunately, before she could spend time to assist in planning to face these issues, our hero received a call from her allied Brigid, who informed her that they were in grave danger. Focusing on the Conjuration Shard, our hero attempted to teleport to her allies... And that's where we are right now. You are all caught up on Try Not To Die. Tune in January 17th for our first Try Not To Die Tuesday of the new year, when we'll be releasing the first chapter of Arc 6. In the meantime, go check out The Cloud Carver Caper, our most recent mini-campaign about Smite, Kittle, and two brand new PCs heist on Aurelia's Glockheed Industries. Until next time, try, try not, not to, to die! die.